the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560, WFIL.com and on the WFIL app. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show. Welcome aboard. Forecast day, a lot of sun the rest of the afternoon, some clouds and spots, 96 the high, 74 the low this evening. Make it a shower, thunder shower overnight. Tomorrow on the cloudy side, a little sun at times, maybe a shower, thunder shower, and a high of 95. Sports Phillies and Yankees tied last night 2-2 in their final preseason matchup. Vince Velasquez actually did a nice job. Five innings pitched, just four hits allowed. One earned run. Walked one, struck out six. Major League Baseball opens its season this Thursday night. Couple of games. And the Phillies open up on Friday along with the rest of Major League Baseball. Phillies will be home against Miami at 7.05 to start off the season. So let's see. One thing to let you know about. A brand new contest on our site. Back to school sweepstakes where you can win $2,500 in cash to help with back to school expenses. Whatever that back to school experience may look like, obviously that will vary depending on where you are. Another $2,500 for your school. All told, $5K. You can actually enter every day right through the 31st of August. And there are bonus entry opportunities as well. So hop on board that back to school sweepstakes at WFIL.com. Other giveaways include our Ministry of the Month feature with a Love Worth Finding and Adrian Rogers. Her weekday mornings at 6. There's a free download you can get right away called Does Character Count? Help yourself. And there's also uh, several prizes we're handing out, not only weekdays, but also a big grand prize for them. And among other, other contests, we have a brand new one called Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. Well, there's a book we're giving away. We're going to get into here in a second. But yeah, the giveaway that's brand new is called From Good to Great. It's with Family Life, heard weekdays at 9. And for starters, everyone is welcome to a free download of Family Life's Marriage Resource Bundle, $155 value. And there's a grand prize, which involves a trip, valued nearly $2,000 for that. So get in for the From Good to Great giveaway at WFIL.com. A lot of prizes flying out of here. I'll be rooting for you. Get to that when you can. So today, I want to do something a little different. Back in third grade, Mrs. Osborne used to, after lunch, grab a book and read to our class. And if we were good, she sometimes would read even more than one chapter, which we always liked. We'd sit there, we'd color. It was just a time to chill and enjoy the book. And, of course, it also helped us maybe have less classwork to do because the afternoon got a little shorter when she would read an extra chapter. 
uh, I will tell you this. We have a lot of interviews on this uh, program, in case you hadn't noticed. And I do my best to read through all of the different books and get prepared so the interview can be as good as it can be, as far as it depends on me. But I honestly always am feeling like I'm running, 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 uh, you know, from one interview to the next. And um, so, and I thought, you know, you'll hear about stuff like today, this book, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Crawford and Karen Loritz. We had Crawford on the program um, five, six weeks ago. We're giving the book away. You may hear the announcers talk about it on the station. It's all good. But what about actually hearing what's in the book itself? And I thought, in honor of Mrs. Osborne from third grade, and other teachers did this too, but I remember hers the most for whatever reason, I wanted to take a little time to invite you to make a cup of tea, cup of coffee, something, and perhaps plop yourself in front of a jigsaw puzzle or something that's not all that mind-consuming, if possible. Maybe you're going on a drive now or you're hitting the road and you have a little open space. I'd like to take today to read one chapter from the book, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Making Your Relationship Matter Now and for Generations to Come. Crawford and Karen Loritz have been married nearly 50 years they have spent close to 30 of them doing things like the uh, Weekend to Remember conferences with Family Life, and they co-wrote this book. And so as I read through, I'm like, there's a lot of wisdom in here. I wish I could share it. Now, I can't read the whole thing, of course, uh, but I thought it would be more than appropriate to take some time today to just chill and play, uh, not play, but uh, read some of this book to you. Now, we have a couple other things kind of in and around that. Maybe some music and maybe um, a couple of clips from that interview with Crawford Loritz. But that's where we're going with this. So I'll take a quick break early so we can come back and get into the book. Chapter two specifically is called Where We Come From. So this kind of actually sets up the book nicely. Should you buy it or should you win it? Uh, so that's what's coming up next. I hope you enjoy. Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com and on the WFIL app and one other quick note before I forget, mention coffee or tea or hanging out. In the spirit of what we're doing today, I'd like to give away some gift cards to Duncan, Panera, or Wawa, courtesy of Briner, Chevrolet, and Jenkintown. So some point in the hour, when you get a chance, send a quick text to 610-500-DOVE, and I'll put your name in the mix for that. 610-500-3683. You can just write the word Duncan, Panera, or Wawa, and we'll make some winners of gift cards so you can get some coffee or tea next time we're out. Back with more in a moment, WFIL. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show. Heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. WFIL, WFL.com on the app. Classic from Darlene Love. Today I met the boy I'm going to marry. Let's get into this book, shall we? Your marriage today and tomorrow, making your relationship matter now and for generations to come. 
Crawford and Karen Loritz wrote this together. And before we go further into it, let me give you just a quick clip of the interview that we had with Crawford Loritz on the 26th of May, kind of set this whole book up. Karen and I, uh, my wife Karen, we, we've spoken at marriage conferences for years and years. And, you know, we've written a book on, or uh, it was a Bible study tool on, on parenting and that kind of thing. But I, I never really felt inspired or led to write a book on marriage myself because I felt like there are so many incredible, wonderful, helpful books already in print, and what would I have to say? However, when uh, the publisher came to us and began floating the idea about us writing a book together on marriage, I, I gave him pushback, and then, and then as we thought about it, there is something that we've been really concerned, uh, not concerned about, it. it's, been a, it's been a burden on our hearts, and that is the way we view marriage, that marriage really is all about mission. And so if uh, you've heard us speak over the last 25, 30 years, uh, the shadow behind our, what we say about marriage it has to do with future, has to do with mission, has to do with legacy, has to do with what uh, succeeding generations look like. And so it was with that in mind that we decided to, uh, to, to write this together. All right. So here we go. Chapter two called Where We Come From. Crawford writing here. Our kids laugh about how different Karen and my backgrounds are. They say that I grew up in sort of a black version of Leave it to Beaver, while their mom grew up in very challenging circumstances in the city. They good-naturedly blame certain habits and quirks of ours on our upbringing. For example, Karen is always aware of her surroundings, and as our kids were growing up, she would remind them to be aware of what's going on around them and keep an eye on suspicious characters. Not a bad idea. They said that this was a carryover of having grown up in some pretty tough neighborhoods. But what they also have seen and witnessed is the hope and power of the gospel to take two very different people, transform our lives, and bless us with a tenacious, deep love for each other. It would mark them and give them a vision of the broad, sweeping power of the cross. What he did for their parents, he could do for them. To say that Karen and I come from different family backgrounds would be an understatement. Before we got married, an older mutual friend advised us to reconsider getting married because our family backgrounds weren't, quote-unquote, compatible. Boy, am I glad we didn't listen to that advice. Besides, our backgrounds are not our common ground. The cross and our mutual pursuit of Christlikeness is our common ground. More on that later. For good or bad, we can't do anything about our heritage, where we came from, what's been done to us, and what's been placed in our hands. But we can do something about our legacy, the determined choices and decisions we make during our journey that will give the next generation a foundation of hope and confidence. But the reality is that so many of us know too well the pains of divorce, rejection, and even abuse. Some of us don't know what a healthy marriage looks like, What we have inherited are examples of failed commitments and fractured relationships. We want to trust ourselves to someone else, but we have no compelling, healthy models of hope to draw from. Yet no matter where we came from, there is hope. The gospel declares the failures and pain of our past and the failures of those who are closest to us don't have to be our experience or our legacy. Frankly, if God raised a dead Jesus, he can give us a new beginning a fresh start. We are not the hopeless victims of our past. 
This means that we don't have to be what has been done to us and what we have seen. The God of the universe, through Christ, can step into our lives, mend and heal our hearts, fill in the missing pieces, and make us models and ambassadors of hope for this and future generations. We can know and experience marriage the way in which it was intended to be, and not the distorted, tortured portrait that has been presented to us. Karen and I know firsthand this transforming grace of God. That is why we want to share our stories with you. That's just the first couple of pages of chapter two. We'll open up and do Karen's story, uh, uh, Crawford's story next and Karen's story to follow. This is chapter two. As we have a little story time today on the program, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow is the book we're diving a bit deeper into. Crawford and Karen married close to 50 years so they have learned a few things. Good wisdom so far. More coming up in just a moment. The Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Love and marriage, love and marriage. Go together like a horse and carriage. Dad was told by mother. You can't have one without the other. Old blue eyes. Frank Sinatra's love and marriage. Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL. If you're just tuning in today, we're taking time to grab a coffee, which I just had a nice sip of a hot coffee. Get a tea. Get comfortable and listen in. Your marriage today and tomorrow. Making your relationship matter now and for generations to come by Crawford and Karen Loritz. Married almost 50 years. They've been on the speaking circuit with Family Life, the weekend to remember marriage conferences and a bunch of other things. And in honor of Mrs. Osborne, third grade story time. And also, honestly, because this is my personal pushback on the fact that life just keeps coming at you sometimes. I want to slow down and read a little bit of the book that we're giving away on our website. One of many prizes that you can win. If you want to win a copy of this book, Check out the uh, Rewards Club page, contests and surveys at WFIL.com. All right. So having said that, let's get back into the book. This is chapter two. We're just reading chapter two out of this book called Where We Come From. And this is Crawford's story. Called This part is called The Patriarch. My father's side of the family is the story of strong, intact marriages. Pop was born in Conover, North Carolina, February 13, 1914. He was one of 14 children, seven boys and seven girls, born to my grandparents, Milton and Anna Loritz. Peter, my great-grandfather and Milton's father, was a former slave. Peter lived to a ripe old age, and my father said that one of his most vivid memories of Peter was watching him sit for hours on the front porch of the old house, rocking back and forth in a rocking chair, singing hymns and spirituals, and occasionally pausing to pray out loud. He also loved the Bible. As the story goes, because he couldn't read, he would have his children and grandchildren read him the scriptures. Peter loved the Lord, and he loved his family. He had a daughter, Georgia, and two sons, my great-uncle, Hazy Peter, otherwise known as H.P., and my grandfather, Milton. Unfortunately, I never had the privilege of knowing any of them personally. They all died before I was born. But I knew and felt the impact of their lives. 
I remember as a little boy attending family reunions and sitting on their front porch or around the table and listening to my aunts and uncles tell countless stories of Peter and my grandparents. I was mesmerized. Looking back, faith, family, and the church served as common themes or the backdrop to most of the stories. And Peter was the patriarch. It all began with him. Think about it. Slavery was no romantic experience. The institution of slavery destroyed families. We have no record of Peter's mother or father. Chances are, when he became a young teenager, he was sold, or one or both of his parents were sold, were killed, or died. No one ever knew anything about Peter's parents, or if they did, no one shared their story. But we do know that somewhere along the line, he placed his faith in Christ, nurtured his love for the Lord, and developed a passion and commitment to his family. God, through a former slave, forged generations of strong marriages and families. I have often wondered where Peter's commitment to the family came from. Let's face it, he didn't exactly grow up during a time in which there was a lot of affirmation and commitment to the preservation of black families. So, what was the driving force? Where did this commitment come from? Was it born out of pain and a longing to preserve what he himself desperately wanted but couldn't have? I suppose in large part that was probably the case. But his passion for the family, perhaps stirred by what he didn't have, was driven and fueled by faith in Christ and shaped by the Word of God. We must never underestimate the power of Jesus Christ to change our lives and the trajectory of our future. Jesus changes everything, 2 Corinthians 5.17. What Peter experienced and where he came from is not what he placed in the hands of future generations of Loritzes. No, he placed in his children's hands who and what he had become, a follower of Jesus Christ. In that regard, he became the portrait of the desired destination of what every generation of Loritzes should do and become. And by the grace of God, that vision and mission has marked our family. No, not everyone in the Loritz family tree is or has been a follower of Christ. As the saying goes, God has no grandchildren. But the compelling power of the gospel and the priority and central focus of family has been the anchor theme of our family from 1865 to this very day. Oh God, may it continue. The Greatest Man I've Ever Known This vision and passion gripped the heart of my grandfather, Milton. He, too, was a follower of Jesus Christ and was deeply committed to his family. As I said, he and my grandmother had 14 children and modeled before them a commitment to Christ and a love and commitment to the family. My dad, Crawford Loritz Sr., picked up the mantle and modeled the same vision and mission before us. To say that my dad had an impact on me is an understatement. I have written about his influence on my life in my book, Never Walk Away. Next to Jesus Christ, my father is the greatest man I've ever known. No, he wasn't a community leader. He never held public office. He wasn't a member of a profession that brought him visibility and attention. He worked for more than 30 years for an AMP warehouse in Newark, New Jersey. What made him great is who he was. He lived for what mattered most. His character, integrity, and commitment to his wife and his children spoke volumes. In fact, Pop was not big on lectures. Now, he did have a few stock speeches he would give to me and my sisters when we messed up, 
or he sensed we were headed in the wrong direction. Again, he did and modeled before us what was most important. For example, although he and Mom had a lot of friends, he shied away from doing things that didn't include his family. Every Saturday was family day. He worked nights, but would work out a schedule so that he could be at all my ball games. We went to church every Sunday. He led our family. And did he ever love his wife, our mother? The fastest way to get on the wrong side of Pop was to disrespect his wife. As children, we learned early on it was too expensive to cross that line. One day, when I was about 16, I had a bit of a mental lapse. Mom asked me a question, which I thought had a very obvious answer. So, in a very disrespectful, smart-alecky tone of voice, I said, That's a dumb question. As the words were coming out of my mouth, I remember thinking something like, This is probably not going to end well. My mother looked at me as if I had lost my mind and said, Boy, who do you think you're talking to? Now I knew where this was heading, and the better part of wisdom was not to answer yet another obvious question. Then she said the words that I dreaded to hear. I think your father needs to know how you just talked to me. Not good. At this point, it was time to cast aside pride and humble myself. Not only did I apologize, I begged Mom not to tell Pop. I was sweating bullets. I guess she thought my repentance was sincere. She never told him. Like all of us, my parents didn't have a perfect marriage. They had their share of disagreements and areas in which they needed to grow. But they had a commitment to the Lord and to each other, and they took their marriage vows very seriously. They loved each other. They were committed to each other. They protected each other. You thought of them as a unit. It wasn't just Crawford or just Sylvia. It was Crawford and Sylvia or Sylvia and Crawford. What a sweet picture of oneness. What a treasure. Faith, family, community. Unlike Pop, Mom didn't come from a background of strong marriages. She was the oldest and had a brother and a sister. Mom, Uncle Henry, and Aunt Margaret had different fathers. My mother never knew who her father was. My grandmother, Janie Gray, raised them by herself. So they grew up in a single-parent household, raised by a mother who worked as a domestic and barely got by. This was not exactly breeding ground for future strong marriages and intact families. I remember asking Mom some years ago why she wasn't a statistic, and how did she develop such a heart and commitment to her marriage and family? After all, the odds were not in her favor. Think about it. You don't know who your father is, and there aren't a lot of resources to help you. It seems to me that the pull toward becoming what you see and experience would be irresistible. In fact, all of the studies and statistics tell us that it's pretty normal. So, I wanted to know what made things different for my mother. I'll never forget what she said to me. She said because they didn't have a father and a husband in the house didn't mean that they were without compelling role models and examples of marriage and family in their tight-knit community. She grew up in the South during the days of overt segregation and Jim Crow. This meant that the black community had to care for and nurture its own. Further, she said that the church and neighbors filled in the gaps and helped to give her positive expectations. They gave her a sense of hope and confidence and affirmed her dignity as one who bears the image of God. More importantly, she surrendered her heart and life to Jesus Christ at an early age. She fell in love with the Lord and with the Word of God. Jesus Christ made all things new for Sylvia Gray 
and placed in her heart the faith to believe that she could have a husband who loved her and the family that they could raise to know and walk with the Lord. You see, Mom's vision and passion for marriage and family was not borrowed from my dad. No, it was the work of the cross and the transforming power of the gospel. Yes, Mom and Pop came from different backgrounds, but their common ground was the cross. Like Pop, family was the core priority of Sylvia Loritz. I can't begin to describe the sense of security this gave to my sisters and me. When you grew up in a household where you knew and experienced love and acceptance, and you saw a mother and father who loved, valued, and respected each other, it gives you hope and confidence that you can do and experience the same. I saw what they did and the decisions they made. Their example placed in me a desire to be married and have children so that I could do the same for them. Again, I don't remember lengthy conversations with either my mother or my father about how to be a good husband or father. They lived it. What a gift. That is Crawford's story in Chapter 2 of the book, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, by Crawford and Karen Loritz, married almost 50 years now. I'm going to read Karen's story for you next. A little story time today. We're giving this book away on our contest and surveys page. Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Making Your Relationship Matter Now and for Generations to Come. Back with Karen's story in just a moment. Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com and on the WFIL app. Live and local. It's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM560, WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. It's Toby Mac on the Tim DeMoss Show. Made for me. Talking about his lovely bride, Toby from the band DC Talk. Also had a solo uh career and calling for a number of years and continues on with that. We use that as part of our story time today, which I'll uh, get back into in a second. First, check on the forecast. Sunday, the rest of the afternoon, 96, the high, low of 74 tonight. May get some rain overnight. Tomorrow on the cloudy side, a little sun, shower, thunder shower possible. Tomorrow's high, 95. Phillies and Yankees tied last night, 2-2 in their final uh, exhibition uh, game of their of their season there and the regular season opening up Thursday night for several teams and the Phillies open theirs on Friday night at home against Miami 705. I was talking with a friend last night about that and uh, she said no fans right I said nope there aren't going to be fans in the stadium but they are getting some games in at least for starters one day at a time. So there you have that uh, today. If you missed the the program or just joining us. I was mentioning at the beginning of the program how if you've you know listened to the show any number of times, you, you know we have a lot of different guests on from different backgrounds. And frankly, it takes you know a lot of research to, to be somewhat conversant in the topic, whatever that might be, including especially authors. You know, they put out a 50, 100, 200 page or more book. I want to read as much of it as I can so I can, uh, and, and ahead of time, to chew on it, think about it, and be able to have a good interview. But I sometimes feel, uh, just because of the pace of things, that we uh, miss some stuff. And so today, I'm, I'm reminded, I was just thinking about when I was in third grade, Mrs. Osborne, at lunchtime, used to read out of whatever book 
she chose. And usually it was one chapter. And if we were well-behaved and coloring quietly uh, with the air conditioning humming in the background, she would say, should I read another one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she would read a second chapter and we would enjoy that. It might have only been on Fridays. I forget. It wasn't every day, but we really enjoyed that. And I thought, you know, maybe we could do this once in a while. You're hearing us talk about giving away this book, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Making Your Relationship Matter Now and for Generations to Come. It's on the contest and surveys page. And perhaps you heard the interview I had with Crawford Loritz, the, uh, the husband of the, the husband-wife duo there, who joined me on May 26th. But there's also something about reading the actual prize itself, the book itself, and not just talking about it. So that's what we're doing today. So I invite you to do as I have done, which is I got myself a nice cup of coffee back here on the ledge so I don't spill it into the console by mistake. Maybe you like tea or something else. Perhaps you get a jigsaw puzzle out or just something where you can chill and listen in and hear more about this book. So we're just reading chapter two out of this book. And again, you can win it. Certainly can buy it if you like. And uh, Crawford's point, uh, we just read Crawford's story. And one of his points really has to do with how very different his wife and, uh, and his background are. They've been married almost 50 years. And uh, he's saying that the, the, the background, one of the main things he's saying is our different backgrounds isn't the issue. Our common ground is the cross. And so let's just get jump in and continue on if you, if you would like to listen in. This is his wife, Karen's story, and, uh, and her background. This one's called, uh, this section's called A Generational Cycle. Karen adored her grandparents, Harvey and Jenny Williams. They were born and raised in Philadelphia, PA. Both were teenagers when they got married, and they had three children in five years, two daughters and a son. Her mother, Marlene, was the youngest. Karen's grandfather was a good provider, working long, hard hours. He made time for his children, taking them on trips to the New Jersey shore and putting together block parties in the neighborhood. Karen's grandmother worked for the local school system while juggling her duties as a wife and mother. Young Marlene was the pride and joy of her father. He loved each of his children, but gave special attention to his youngest daughter, giving her just about everything she asked for. Over time, however, the pressures of life began to take a toll on Harvey and Jenny. Although their love and commitment to their two daughters and son never wavered, their marriage began to deteriorate. As a very young couple, they were unprepared for what life was hurling at them. Sadly, the marriage ended. No one knows the specific reason or reasons for the divorce. But what is apparent is that their marriage mirrored a generational cycle of young love, marriage, parenthood, and separation or divorce. Marlene took the breakup of the marriage the hardest. Her hurt was turned to anger, and she blamed her mother for the divorce. Marlene was a very intelligent, beautiful woman. When she graduated from high school, she had opportunities for further education, including vocational training, but life got in the way. Outwardly, she appeared to be filled with confidence, but beneath the surface, she was lonely and hurting. She had a hole in her heart, the one relationship that she had treasured, enjoyed, and wanted the most had moved out of the house. She desperately wanted her father back in the home. It hurt deeply. Karen believes that the hurt and longing drew her mother to a series of loveless relationships. Less than a year after Marlene graduated from high school, she met a young Navy sailor who was home on leave. She became pregnant. Due to complications related to poor prenatal care, 
Karen arrived four weeks early. It would be years before Karen met her father, a relationship she longed for. Society labeled her illegitimate, a cruel stigma that would haunt her for years. The first 28 days of her life were spent in the neonatal critical care unit of a city hospital that served the under-resourced and uninsured. She came home to live with her mother and grandmother. In the early years of Karen's life, she and her mom lived in public housing after living with her grandmother and aunt at times. When she was three, her brother Arthur was born. The women in Karen's family are smart and resourceful, and Marlene was no exception. She was able to land better-paying jobs, which allowed her to find a bit better housing in somewhat safer areas of the city for her children. In addition, they knew and experienced the love, care, and protection of extended family members, especially during dark, difficult times. A lonely girl finds church. Then came a break, a turning point for the family. Karen's mom got a job working for a small business in the neighborhood. The owner, a widower, took notice of this attractive, hard-working single mom. They began a relationship, and he asked her to marry him. She accepted. He was much older than Marlene, 36 years older. Despite that age gap, some things improved for the family. They moved out of the ghetto to a large, beautiful home in middle-class section of the city. Finally, they enjoyed a sense of security. They were no longer living hand-to-mouth barely getting by. Soon Karen had another little brother. He was the darling of his aged father and youthful mother. They were now a family of five, and life was good. Karen was nine when her little brother was born. She loved being a big sister. However, with her mom's long hours at work, Karen also inherited the role of second mother. She didn't have much of a childhood, In addition, their family rarely sat down together for a meal or engaged in family conversation. She points out that they were nothing like her favorite TV show, Leave it to Beaver. They were three children with two working adults living in a large, comfortable house on a tree-lined street. Yet Karen was lonely and unhappy. She longed for something. The pastor of a large church lived in their neighborhood, and Karen's mom thought it would be a good thing for Karen and her brother Arthur to start attending church. She sent them, but she herself didn't go. In fact, until this point, Karen doesn't recall her mother attending church or even mentioning church. Oddly enough, though, Karen was excited about this new experience. So there you have it. This preteen, with her younger brother tagging along, shows up for Sunday school. She was directed to a class taught by Ms. Green. Karen loved her class and especially her teacher. Karen remembers how Ms. Green made Bible stories come alive, stories she had never heard before. She looked forward to Sunday so she could hear more Bible stories and be around her teacher. Every Sunday, Karen would get a reassuring look and a hug from Ms. Green. She gave Karen her first Bible. She cared for each student in a way that sparked a longing in Karen to have what she possessed. But back at home, things were not going well. Her mother and stepfather were not getting along, and it was stirring up tension in the home. For preteen Karen, the pressures of being the child care provider, the burden of doing the household chores, and general feelings of unhappiness caused her to entertain thoughts of running away and even suicide. She longed to hear words of appreciation and acceptance from her mother for that's all for all that she was doing. 
After a few months of attending large, the large neighborhood church, Karen decided to try another church. There was a smaller church not far from where they lived. The lonely girl was drawn to the church's big red double doors and stained glass windows. When she walked inside, she discovered that it was a white congregation. The older pastor and his wife were from Ukraine. His name was Pastor Kowalchuk, Peter, Pastor Peter Kowalchuk. Everybody called him Pastor K. This dear couple warmly welcomed Karen and her brother Arthur with hearty handshakes and bear-like hugs. The children stuck out like a sprinkling of pepper on a sheet of white paper. Yet they were loved, cared for, and included in this small congregation that refused to leave the ethnically changing community. Karen and Arthur had finally found a church family. She loved her church. She attended Sunday school and the worship services, became part of the youth group, and sang in the youth choir. During the summer, the church provided scholarships so Karen and Arthur could attend a Bible camp in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. God used those times at camp to speak deeply to Karen's heart. She cried when it came time to come home. When she was at church, she knew comfort and peace. The loneliness was gone. During her freshman year in high school, Pastor Kay took the youth group to a concert in downtown Philadelphia. At the end of the concert, someone gave a message on John 3.16. It was as if Karen was the only person in the room and God was speaking through this man directly to her. God's love and Jesus sacrificing his life on the cross ripped her heart. When the speaker invited those who wanted to place their faith in Christ to come forward, Karen was one of the first to respond. One of the counselors shared with her how she could have a personal relationship with Christ. Karen prayed, expressing her faith in Christ. That evening, she became a part of the family of God. God placed in her heart wonderful joy and peace. He also surrounded her with people who loved her and were committed to helping her be all that God wanted her to be and experience all that God had in store for her. Pastor Kay and several of her Sunday school teachers there discipled her formally and informally. They invited her into their homes, where she saw models of godly marriages. Two childless couples especially impacted her life, Pastor and Mrs. K and Mr. and Mrs. Bourne. Two older single women, Betty Nichols and Mary Ann Twistle, poured into her life and provided her examples of true womanhood. When Jesus Changed Everything Unfortunately, her mother's marriage continued to deteriorate. Things came to a head during Karen's freshman year in college. Her mother and stepfather had separated a few times and finally divorced. The cycle of divorce in her family had claimed another victim. First her grandmother, then her aunt, and now her mother. Karen remembers this stirring her in a desire, a determination for this not to be her story. God used these events to bring about a milestone commitment in her life. One evening... She knelt beside her bed and placed her life in the Lord's hands to do whatever he wanted with all the details of her life, including marriage. It was shortly after that commitment, God brought our paths together. Jesus Christ changed everything for Karen. He intercepted her life. In his sovereign love and care, he guided a 10-year-old girl to the family of God, drew her to the cross, placed her in, in her life, people who loved her, and modeled before her what God could do and what she could become. Her point of reference was no longer where she came from, but her new life in Christ. The tears trickle down my cheeks when I see what our great God has done in and through her life 
and the gift and blessing she is not only to our family, but also to other women, especially young wives and mothers. Karen Laritz is not only the love of my life, she is my hero. As in the case of my mother, Karen's commitment to marriage and the family was not shaped and informed by her background or family experience. Neither was it borrowed from me or from my background. It is anchored in the cross, informed by the word of God, and encouraged and nurtured by godly women and men who loved her and cared for her soul. This has produced in her a passion for marriage and family. Reading today from the book, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Making Your Relationship Matter Now and for Generations to Come by Crawford and Karen Loritz, married almost 50 years. They have toured around speaking on the Family Life Weekend to Remember Marriage Conferences for the past 30 years, and they've written this book together. We're giving it away on our site, and today, something a little different, a little story time action, and reading through just a part of it to give you an idea of this book you could win, but most importantly, and hopefully to encourage you as you listen in. So, even if you're joining us a little bit late, I have a little more to read to, to close things out, you can still grab a cup of coffee and sit and listen while the podcast is up in the next hour or so. And uh, we'll close out chapter two in just a second. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com and on the WFIL app. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560, WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. And on the app, that spiral staircase. More today than yesterday. As we wrap up our story time inaugural edition, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Crawford and Karen Laritz. We're giving this book away as part of our rewards club. You can enter to win at WFIL.com. We read Crawford's story a bit and Karen's story. Their background's very different. Let uh, conclude chapter two here for you. Choices, decisions, commitments is what these last couple pages are called. The sobering truth is just because someone comes from a wonderful, godly family is no guarantee that they will have a strong marriage and a thriving family. I have witnessed firsthand the failure of marriages of young couples that come from great families. You're left scratching your head and wondering, how did this happen? You wouldn't think that their background and exposure would give them a leg up, or you would think that their background and exposure would give them a leg up and a desire to replicate what they've seen and experienced. And for the most part, it does. But choices and decisions are not hereditary. For example, parents homeschool their children or place them in Christian school. For the most part, they conform or comply with expectations. Then they go off to college, and their behavior is inconsistent with what they have seen and heard at home and the environment and connect in which they grew up or context in which they grew up. Did their parents fail them? Were they unprepared? Was there something missing in their development? Maybe, but it could be that they were given what they needed, but didn't own what they were given. Choices, decisions, the will to respond to God and to do what is right cannot be injected into the veins of the next generation. What's more, powerful forces are at work to destroy the institution of marriage. The Bible identifies these forces as the world, the flesh, and the devil. These forces are powerful and almost irresistible. They were at work through the institution of slavery, 
which could have fragmented, if not eradicated, our family. They were at work in an attempt to marginalize Sylvia Gray and to lower her expectations and to take hope off the table. They were at work to discourage and victimize a young girl from inner-city Philadelphia, but they didn't succeed. In the case of my great-grandfather, my mother, and my wife, they encountered and surrendered to the person who changed everything, Jesus Christ. His love and power changed them and gave them hope and determination to pursue his plans and purposes for their lives, including a marriage and a family that would honor God. They were set free from the bondage of sin and the paralyzing cycle of dysfunction. As they pursued Christ and grew in their relationship with him, they experienced his grace, strength, and sustaining power to keep and live by their marriage vows. So yes, Karen and I come from very different backgrounds, and along the way, we've had to work through some of those differences and challenges and the general stuff that two imperfect people bring to a marriage. But we both have met Jesus and have tasted his power to change us and give us everything we need to have a marriage and family that honors him. Our common ground is not where we were born or the conditions and circumstances in which we grew up. Our common ground is our love for Jesus Christ, our love and commitment to each other, and our commitment to the biblical covenant and vision for marriage. The key word is commitment. This implies work and sacrifice. To be a follower of Christ does not guarantee you're going to have a godly, thriving marriage. Unfortunately, genuine Christians can have awful marriages. Commitment is not a past experience nor a feeling. Commitment implies focused action that underscores the value of the marriage and relationship. It means to pay the price, to give whatever it takes to make the marriage everything God intended for it to be. It means actions that flow out of a heart commitment to prize and protect the relationship. That's what we will look at in the next section. Mm, Pretty good stuff. (laughs) Your marriage today and tomorrow, making your relationship matter now and for generations to come by Crawford and Karen Loritz, married almost 50 years. We're giving this book away on our contest and surveys page today, just taking a few moments to read a chapter out of the entire book and slow things down a little bit uh, as we often have lots of interviews, which is great. I think it's good to dive deeper. And today we tried that out. I hope you enjoyed listening in podcast up in about an hour. God bless you. May these words have encouraged you looking forward to another program tomorrow afternoon. Have a great rest of your evening. Thanks for your prayers too. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.